Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti, all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. J.J. for three. Followed monster jam by Blake Griffin. What a follow. Clippers by six. What's up, Clips Nation? Welcome to another edition of the Lob, the Jam, the podcast. I am your host, Patrick Zajac. And with me now, the, it seems to be a regular trio of myself, Shapon Debnath, and Robert Flom. Guys, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing well. Fantastic. Good to hear. Well, I am now back in Eugene, Oregon after a little three-day cruise. That's why I um, came back late on Sunday night when we usually record. That's why for those all of you listening, that's why we're coming at, back to you now on a Tuesday for this week's episode. And just kind of overview this week, what we're going to be talking about. We'll go over the trade deadline a little bit uh, from a Clippers perspective. Obviously, the team makes no moves, so Doc Rivers must like the roster as it's constructed or at least couldn't find the right improvement to this year's version of the Clippers. We'll talk a little bit about Chris Paul returning and what exactly that means to this Clippers team. Obviously, it pretty much means everything. Um, before recapping a little bit the week previously for the Clippers against the Warriors and the Spurs, uh, whether we're more or less encouraged by their performance. And then, of course, uh, delve into a little bit of their overtime victory over the Hornets and finally go over an outlook for the team moving forward, not just 
through the end of this season, but in future years now that everyone's healthy um, off season coming up quickly here, but mostly want to focus on the rest of this year, especially with the big week ahead, big game against the Houston Rockets to start off the week for the Clippers. But first, let's talk about the trade deadline. That happened last week. A lot of rumors. And ultimately, Doc Rivers chooses to stay stand pat and not make a move. And I just starting off this week's show, I want to get your guys' opinion on, you know, how do we feel about this as as Clipper fans, specifically, you know, the three of us. Was it the right or wrong move for Doc Rivers? I know it's kind of hard to tell because we don't really know for sure at length what was being discussed. We only can scour the rumor mill and and kind of read about all that possibly is happening behind the scenes but unless we have an inside source you know inside the Clippers front office which we do not we don't really have you know anything other to go on than like I said all the rumors that that come through the media how do we feel about this right or wrong move for the Clippers in your guys's opinion Chapon let's start with you this week I think I think it's fine I mean you saw PJ Tucker went for a pretty cheap price I think it was a couple of second rounders and uh, we know that the Clippers were that on the idea that it would have been a nice decent enough mood i mean you can see pj tucker's are kind of revitalized with the raptors and you could see him being in a winning environment maybe giving you a little bit of a nice steady one-two punch with luke as far as you know that kind of steady corner three plus uh solid defense throughout the 48 minutes of a basketball game that would be nice but really don't know if it really moves the dial that much. I don't know if Matt Barnes is going to come with us or go to the Rockets maybe for money. But with our assets, we were pretty strapped unless we just gave up a, a future first rounder for a marginal upgrade or went all in with the mellow deal. I just, it's, I think it's okay. I mean, better than something short-sighted like last year's Jeff Green trade where we pretty much just gave up a first rounder for nothing. So I'm okay with this move. And uh, as, as it stands now, really uh, the Clippers, it's really the Warriors and the rest. And I do think the Clippers can get up to the, that second best team if they're clicking. And really that's kind of the upside on this team right now, unless just everything clicks and, the Warriors fall apart. But right now it's just a kind of a battle for second best. And um, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like you mentioned, it is really in the Western Conference and the NBA for that matter that it's the Warriors and everybody else. And I think if you're Doc Rivers, you like the team as it's currently constructed because you've seen how well they can play together if everyone is healthy and everyone is clicking like you mentioned. So I do like the move. I was a little disappointed on trade deadline day, but that was mostly because I was hoping for, you know, maybe a last second Carmelo deal, just because I think that was the most intriguing option that was talked about on the rumor mill. But at the same time, whether or not Melo actually made the Clippers better was something that we went back and forth on, on this show and on clips nation and, you know, writers who cover the Clippers all over the place. But I, I I like it. There's no sense in making a move just to make a move if you're Doc Rivers. Like I said, there were a lot of intriguing trades out there, but ultimately Clippers just didn't have the assets to pull it off. You don't have any first-rounders until, I believe, 2021, which if you're the GM of, a, of an opposing team, why are you going to make a trade for a first-round pick that you know you might not even be able to use as a GM of that team depending on how long your tenure is? 
health will always be the key with this team. And, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I mean, I'll take my chances with this Clippers team against any team in the NBA when they're healthy. I mean, yes, even the Warriors, because this team, when they're running at full bore, everyone's healthy of the core four alongside Mbamute, who I believe, even though they've played limited minutes this season, has the best net rating in the entire NBA. Again, a very small sample size, but even better than the best five-man unit for the Golden State Warriors. So you do have that to lean on if you're Doc Rivers. You hope that, you know, in these last 23 games before the playoffs that the team finds their rhythm again with Chris Paul now back into the fold and can possibly make some noise in the playoffs and and hopefully make it to a conference final, which I think has been the goal for all of us um, this entire season. But to do that, you're going to need to avoid the Warriors in the second round. I think we can all agree on that. What about you, Robert, uh, closing out our our brief trade deadline recap here? How do you feel about Clippers not making a move and, you know, ultimately how the roster looks right now? Basically, the Clippers were, in fact, talking with the Nuggets about Gallinari. I don't know in how much depth, how far the talks went. I think the Clippers actually might have been the ones to back down because their 20-21 pick is so far in the future that it could actually end up being really good. I mean, the Chris Paul era could be over by then. They could really need that pick in a rebuild. And Gallinari is not that young. He's not a star player, and he's injury-prone, and he's a free agent after this season. So it's a tough price to pay, honestly, for the Clippers, especially if you don't think Gallinari is the piece to put you over the edge. And then if you do re-sign him, you'd have to re-sign him for a lot of money, and that means you might not get Reddit back, and it's just the whole thing. So I'm not sure the Clippers were actually willing to pay for him in particular, but I don't know that for sure. Mello just wasn't going to happen. It was too complicated. The pieces just weren't enough for the Knicks, I think. So I'm fine that they didn't make any of the moves that were theoretically on the table. I mean, P.J. Tucker for a couple seconds on like a pure asset level is a good deal because he's worth more than that. But as I think you've discussed before, he's a very marginal upgrade. I mean, he would help, sure, but... He's not going to change a series against the Warriors. Whereas for the Raptors, you know, they have a huge hole at power forward, which is where he plays, and he's actually a very nice piece for them. So for them, it made sense. For the Clippers, not so much. So, you know, again, as, as Pat said, I think in the heat of the moment, I was pretty disappointed that they didn't do anything. But within a day or two, it seemed like the reasonable thing to do. And there still could be movement on the waiver wire. There's a ton of players getting released and waived right now. And the Clippers could always, you know, they could cut Pierce. They could cut Diamond Stone. They could cut Al Anderson to sign a more relevant player. So we'll see how that plays out. But I'm basically, I'm fine with them not doing anything. Like we all can agree on. I mean, you just have to look at the perspective from the Clippers end and what assets they did or, or really didn't have in trying to pull off a trade. Um, The Gallinari conversation is interesting, but again, too many factors working against the Clippers to really pull off a deal of significant value that not only makes sense for the rest of this season, but you know, you still got to take into account two or three years down the line and, and what this team is going to look like, even, you know, going into one of the most important off seasons for the Clippers in their entire history, this upcoming summer. 
One of the other big developments, you know, not just the trade deadline and the lack of moves by the Clippers front office is also the return of the point guard, the return of Chris Paul finally back. Didn't play against the Golden State Warriors. I was hoping and having my fingers crossed that he would just because I wanted to see this team if I just play against the Warriors at full strength. Obviously, Chris Paul first game back, how much full strength could he really be at? But then CP3 returns for the Spurs game, plays not quite like himself, five assists and four turnovers. J.J. Redick struggles, shoots just two of eight from deep and two and six, two and six from deep against the Warriors. I just want to ask you guys to start off this conversation. Are we more or less encouraged by the team's performance against the two best teams in the Western Conference? Uh, let's go back to you, Robert. What do you think? I wouldn't say my opinion has really changed. I still think they can take the Spurs, though it wouldn't be an easy series by any means. Chris Paul was still rusty. The team as a whole didn't play great. The Warriors, they played competitively. You know, they kept it pretty close, which is what we wanted. So, in a sense, that's encouraging. But on the other hand, it's another game that they theoretically could have won because they were up and then just got demolished in one quarter, basically, just snowed under. And that's the kind of thing that seems to happen every single game the Clippers play against the Warriors. You know, it's happened a lot. They play them even in two or three quarters, and then in one quarter, they get blown up by 20 or 30 points. And if that happens a couple times, it's anomaly happens consistently, that's a trend. And for whatever reason, the Clippers just don't have the juice or the mental fortitude or whatever to hang with the Warriors for four quarters in a game. And I don't think that really changed. I think the fact that they played them competitively, even without Paul, is a good sign of sorts. But I didn't really see anything to suggest that their mental block of sorts against the Warriors has moved. They still seem to just, and this is entirely, you know, armchair psychology, which is mostly useless, but they just don't seem to believe they can beat the Warriors. And until they actually do, even if it's just one time, I can't believe they'll win against them in a series, much less in, it, in like even two games. Sir, the, the needle didn't move much for me because, you know, as you mentioned, it was just a absolute just shellacking in that third quarter. The Clippers, mind you, saw a stat today. The Clippers gave up 50 points in that third quarter. The All-Star team for the Western Conference didn't even score 50 points in any quarter in the All-Star game. And we all know how much defense was actually played in that All-Star game. So, so yes, you're very discouraged by that fact. But at the same time, Clippers did have a 12-point lead at the half, which is something that hasn't been true all season, especially in the, last, in the previous two games against the Warriors. The Clippers, from start to finish, were absolutely shellacked the entire way through. So I, I did like at least seeing one good half of basketball played against the Warriors without Chris Paul. Now, again, yes, the third quarter is, is disappointing, to, to say the least, and, and how that game finished isn't what you wanted. But there's at least improvement, albeit the bar was very low going in. I believe on last week's show, um, we just wanted a, a loss by less than 20 points. So at least we got that. And I also mm-hmm. want to point out, I believe Chapon is the only one of us, uh, as he says, the true pessimist. And, and 
predicted that the Clippers would lose both games, and they ultimately did, even though Chris Paul did return against the Spurs. So, Siobhan, I'll go over to you now. You more or less encouraged or still the ultimate pessimist when it comes to this team's performance against both of these teams? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think half-heartedly last week, and in the first half, they kept them to 49, and then they kept them to 50. But uh, the problem was that that was the third quarter. So uh, that was 99 right there. Incredible third quarter. But, you know, optimistically, 7 to 18 in the second quarter, even though the Warriors scored us by 24 in that miserable third, we did outscore them by 19 in the second. That, that second quarter was very, very nice to see, even though I think the Warriors kind of shot themselves in the foot with a lot of turnovers. Um, and really in the third quarter, if the Warriors get hot, and uh, and you panic a little bit. You either take early shots or you turn the ball over a bit. They're just going to get rolling. And really, you just saw them at their finest. Durant got them going early, and then Curry finished it off. It was really just – I was in awe of it. In fact, I don't feel like I felt so helpless seeing team just kind of come back against the Clippers since um, – a very unfortunate back uh, in LA against the Rockets a few years ago. So it was, it was pretty mind numbing to see that happen. It was, it was an incredible display. And, uh, but still there were pauses to be held. We didn't expect them to be even close to the Warriors without Chris Paul. I think the team still played well, even though uh, they lost that, that game, um, you know, handedly by the time the fourth quarter was decided, it was really just that, that one third quarter and considering Paul uh, Paul wasn't there, that first half was encouraging. Blake was an aggressor. Uh, You know, I thought the team played pretty decently. It's just the Warriors, when they get on a roll, you can't stop them. Spurs, the Spurs are the Spurs. The, these games play off so similarly. It's a game of runs. In fact, this game, the last game we had against them kind of reminded me a lot of that one game a couple years ago when Kawhi had that huge deal with on Chris to end the game where the Spurs had a run. I think the Spurs were up seven or so in the fourth quarter, and then the Spurs just went on one final run and took the lead and never let it go. Kind of reminded me of that. I still think uh, the Clippers can beat the Spurs in the series. The biggest development that I feel like could happen with the Spurs over the next this last few remaining games is the rise of Dwayne Dedman. And uh, if that guy has gets a stranglehold on that starting center spot, and uh, plays more minutes than Pau Gasol uh, with a regular a regular basis, then the Spurs are much better. The Spurs are much better defensively. But for the Clippers' sake, I really hope Gasol gets more minutes than Deadman because Deadman is an issue. I remember when we played the Spurs in LA, a game I went to, when Deadman checked into the game, they kind of got on a roll a bit, and it's mostly because he's a problem. He can keep up with the bigs a bit, a lot more than than power LMA can. And defensively, he'll be able to keep up with our bigs much more. And we've seen Blake and DeAndre pick apart the San Antonio Spurs bigs off the pick and roll, especially even Tim Duncan, who was quality on defense, but he wasn't much of a pick and roll defender against the likes of Blake Griffin or DeAndre Jordan. But Dwayne Dedman. I feel like he can hold his own a bit. And if he emerges a bit as a weapon for them and gets closer to starters minutes, then I think it's going to be an extra wrench for the Clippers if we do, in fact, get them in postseason. So that was one of the bigger developments that I saw. I know it was Powell. I think it was Powell's first game. 
But if it's a trend that Deadman plays more minutes than Powell, or even similar, very similar minutes, then I think it makes us better. So it's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, to see if they continue. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. I mean, it's something that that's I think that's one of the main reasons that we've liked that matchup as a trio here is because the Spurs with Pau Gasol and LaMarcus Aldridge, those forwards just didn't have the athleticism to keep up with Blake and DeAndre Jordan. And as you mentioned, with Deadman there, he can certainly, you know, bang down low a lot more with both of those guys and pose a huge problem. And, and like you mentioned, they can go on a run with that team there. But mostly, I mean, yeah, that is that is concerning from that game. But at the same time, I'm going to, for the most part, throw that Spurs game away when we're – and not analyze it too deeply. It was the first game back for Chris Paul, you know, wasn't completely a hundred percent first game back. tough to get into any sort of offensive rhythm, five assists, four turnovers. JJ Redick also struggled, but the Spurs do a very good job. Pop does a very good job on focusing on JJ Redick offensively Mm -hmm. when his team's playing defense, especially, you know, in that first quarter when the Clippers like to go JJ Redick more often than not and, and set him up, Um, easily so he can get rolling and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the game Popovich is a great job of you know switching Kawhi Leonard to guard JJ Redick in stretches and Redick has trouble getting free off of those off-ball screens like he normally does against anybody else just because Kawhi Leonard is such a great one-on-one defender in this league you know arguably the best in the entire league so there are still like I said I think on a whole it sounds like we're a bit more encouraged from those games but kind of twofold because as you mentioned maybe a little bit more dis less encouraged against the spurs more encouraged in the warriors in that it wasn't a total complete blowout loss from start to finish which kind of brings us to our next topic the outlook for the team moving forward And this kind of goes hand in hand with our recap from the trade deadline and you know the point i wanted to make about the outlook for this team moving forward is, you know, not just for this season, but future years. You know, multiple reports have come out saying that Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, and J.J. Redick are all going to re-sign this offseason. Now, do we all believe this? That's something entirely different. What does it mean for the future? You know, we don't necessarily know. If that is completely true, then, you know, we have this similar core for the next two or three years. If you look at the contract cap situation for the Clippers as it stands right now, you have Andre Jordan signed for two more years. The other three of your core four would have multi-year deals in this situation. And you still have two years left for Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford and Luke and Bob Mutain, though I don't know if they would both, you know, exercise them or decline them depending on how much they would potentially get in the open market. So this team, when they're healthy, is still a top five team in the NBA. In my opinion, health has always been the big issue. You know, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin have suffered big injuries in different postseasons across multiple years. Chris Paul, you know, remember in 2015, he sat out the first two games of that Houston series that the Clippers lost in devastating fashion that Chapon you mentioned earlier in this show, both he and Blake go down this past season against the Blazers in the first round in the same game, Blake Griffin, was hurt a couple years back. I think it was 2013 in that first playoff series against the Spurs. So health has always been the issue. And when this team is healthy, this core, this core can win. This core can compete against any sort of team in the NBA. We may, I mentioned at the top of the show, the five-man starting unit 
which includes Luke and Bob Mute alongside the core four, is arguably the one or two best five-man unit, five units in the entire NBA, and I will take my chances every single time against this team. What about, before we get into our preview for the week ahead and looking specifically at that Houston game, I want to get your guys' thoughts kind of on the outlook moving forward. Um, starting with, let's go back to you, Robert. What do you think about the rest of this season with the Clippers roster as it stands now? I agree for the most part. I think they can beat any team in a playoff series that isn't Golden State and probably Cleveland. I think they can beat San Antonio. I think they can beat Houston or the Jazz. So I think all three of those series would be tough. I think Houston and, and the Jazz would actually be tougher than San Antonio, but they could lose all three of those as well. I think they'd beat every other team in a playoff series. I think they beat like Memphis, OKC, whoever the eight seed is going to be. I think they beat all those teams, but I can't see them beating Golden State. And while that's the ultimate goal, just getting to the conference finals would be a real breakthrough for this team. The problem is, in order to do that without beating the Golden State Warriors, they'd have to be in the 2 3 6 7 spot. And they're not going to fall to 6 or 7 now with Paul back, unless they have another devastating injury, which would obviously just end the season anyway. And I think they could catch Houston at three. But I think now that Paul is back and the team is healthy, I think that is imperative. Because, you know, if they make it to the conference finals, there's a lot more of a justification for keeping the band back together, as it were. And if they don't, if it's another washout in the second round, or even worse in the first round again, you know, even if it makes sense just from a player and asset standpoint to bring these guys back, you know, fans might be restless, Ballmer might be restless. I mean, if they lose in the first round again, I think even if players come back, I think Doc would, might very well be gone. So the second round would be a bad outcome, but not awful. First round would be, first round out would be dreadful. Conference finals would be good. And anything beyond that, I think, is complete gravy, just depending on Warriors falling apart or sustaining an injury or something. But I mean, I'm hopeful. I think that Griffin and Paul are just about locks to come back again, barring some kind of catastrophic breakdown. Redick, I'm a little bit unsure on, despite the rumors. I think it's still probable, but I'm not entirely positive. But I mean, I think the Clippers are going to do well the rest of the season. I think they can get the third seed. I think they can make it to the conference finals. And I think they can keep this core together for another few years. Paul shows no sign of aging. Jordan and Blake are still in their primes. You know, Redick is old, but his shooting should remain intact. So I'm still hopeful for the overall outlook of this team. They're still one of the best teams in the NBA. And, you know, it would be nice to have some younger players with more upside outside of Austin Rivers who, you know, while he's good and he's young, he's not that expensive. I don't think he's going to become much more than he is. Um, But it's hard to be super pessimistic after all the years of being a Clippers fan before the Chris Paul era. So hopefully they make it to the conference finals. And that's the thing. I mean, that's really the true plight of, of being a Clippers fan is because you just have been conditioned to expect the worst. It's, it's injury, whether it's injuries, whether it's guys not re-signing, whether it's just Josh Smith 
hitting six three pointers in a game. You know, it's mm. it's always something different. And Robert and I, it sounds like both of us are a little more hopeful, but again, pessimism always in the back of your mind. Let's go to the the, the ultimate pessimist, at least out of the three of us, Chapon. Your final thoughts, kind of on the outlook for the team moving forward. Well, you know, I do think Blake and and Paul will be back. I uh, I think too much is going well for Blake here. Um, he's young. He's he's uh, got LA. DJ's his best friend in the league, and and you know, I think I think the teams embraced him. I was kind of worried after all the uh, after the quadri kind of re, uh, happened again last year that maybe he would lose his trust in our medical staff. Um, but since he looks great right now, and you know he had that uh, that arthroscopic surgery, and he looks almost as good as new. Maybe all those uh, wounds have been healed. Paul, I just don't see where else he would go that has a realistic chance of winning. The closest thing I see are maybe the Spurs, since Parker is pretty much done and Patty Mills is maybe not a starter. I am. I think the Spurs are going to have some cap space over the summer. Maybe they'll make a strong play at the Clippers flame out in the first round. But, you know, I do think that Paul has a very good chance of coming back unless we maybe lose in the first round. Then he really looks around particularly at a team like San Antonio, who I know he respects. That's my biggest fear is that the Spurs are going to come hard for Paul. I haven't looked at all the caps cap stuff for a while, but I did a while ago and it, it was enough to the fear in me. And um, so JJ, I hope he comes back. The most interesting thing about the trade deadline was the Courtney Lee uh, rumor that, that popped up because I know Courtney Lee is signed for next year. And I thought that that was kind of a condition contingency plan that maybe if JJ leaves, we would have Courtney Lee. Uh, so I'm not completely sure about JJ, uh, despite the recent reports that maybe it's, he'll also come back. But uh, I think Blake and, and Chris have a very good chance. Like Robert was saying, you know, I'm, I'm so used to this. I'm a pessimist because this team has lost lots in the past. And, uh, you know, recently in my heart in the playoffs before that it was so I was just so cynical about how basketball worked, <laughs> how, how competent management looked, what a good owner looked like. I was like, you guys think you have problems. Any other team had their team in the playoffs. I would legitimately say I, I would love just to be in the playoffs. I mean, before 2006 and even in between, I felt like it was so quick between the prime Elton Brand year and the years in between where we so quickly became – the Clippers again, the the hopeless Clippers. So I'm I'm happy making the playoffs and hoping for that break. You know, I'm happy with this core. I've gotten really attached. I've probably gotten more attached to this Clip team than any Clipper team, you know, in my life. So I would be happy keeping this core and hoping things kind of broke our way and trying to be like Dallas Mavericks that one year. I'm fine with that. And uh, you know, I still love to see Chris Paul try and try and go at Steph Curry like he did a couple of years ago, where I really don't know how many play, how many teams have a player like Paul so competitive and has such a great defensive tenacity and really has set the kind of the blueprint for how to slow down Steph. You have to be physical with him and really get up all up on him and you can maybe slow him down. And many teams have tried to do, I think Bill Simmons has actually mentioned this in his podcast that many teams have tried to replicate the entire Chris Paul system on, on Stephen Curry of just 
being as physical and committing as many quiet fouls as possible and seeing Chris in a, in a series against the Warriors again, healthy, is still something I would be excited to see. I don't think the Clippers would necessarily beat the Warriors, but I don't think that they would think that they couldn't beat them, especially not our leader, Chris Paul. So I want to see that. And really all I think any of us have wanted to see over the past couple of seasons is just a healthy team, especially a healthy Chris. He deserves that as much to really just have a completely healthy postseason and to really put it all on the court. And if we have that, I still think he's the smartest player in the league. And if we have the smartest player in the league on our team and he's healthy, like I'll take our chances and we'll see what we can do. So I'm happy with this team. I've been happy with this team as frustrating as they can be. And I would love to see them have at it a couple more years. Yeah. And without a doubt, I mean, I think all of us as Clipper fans, especially, you know, as you mentioned us longtime fans that have been through so many bad years, it's just, we'll look back on this era and no matter where the Clippers go from here, we'll look back on this era fondly where it's, it's finally been, you know, sustained success, at least in terms of making it to the playoffs, being at least a threat in the Western conference to make it to the finals. And a lot of different things have gone wrong, namely injuries and pure bad luck in the playoffs and, and less than stellar play. But one more thing is when we're talking about Chris Paul and Blake Griffin leaving and, and something that I've kind of mentioned to friends and fans, I just feel like Blake Griffin is, and notably Chris Paul, I've, I've never really seen where he could possibly go as you mentioned Chapon that really gives him a better chance at winning. I do think the Spurs are the biggest threat, but at the same time with the Spurs and almost any other team that makes sense, at least for Chris Paul, is the history of championships for those franchises, especially with the Spurs. With the Clippers, there is no history. There is no, at least, history of success. There's no, not even a conference finals berth. And the, and I'm not saying that I think the Clippers are going to win a championship with this core right now, but if they were, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, everyone on that roster would go down as legends for Clippers fans for the rest of this team's history. And I think that carries more weight than, you know, say winning another title for the San Antonio Spurs. That's just, that's just my personal take on it. I think there's, there's more to it winning here, but ultimately players are motivated by different things. So you never know what can happen. Looking ahead to this week for the Clippers, most notably big game coming up against the Houston Rockets on Wednesday, March 1st. Now, Mm -hmm. Lucas had a great write-up on ClipsNation.com here today, kind of taking a look at both team schedules, the Rockets and the Clippers, specifically, you know, looking to see if there really is a way for the Clippers to climb up into that three seed, which, as we mentioned during our show, you kind of, in order to avoid the Warriors, you have to be in that two, three, six, seven range. Now, I don't think we believe that the Clippers are going to fall to that six or seven, especially not now that Chris Paul is healthy. If this team's healthy, I don't think there's really any way that they fall all the way to the six, barring, you know, a long stretch of just terrible play for whatever reason. And, you know, the main crux that Lucas was writing about there, and I encourage all of you guys listening to read it, is 22 games left for the Rockets, 23 for Clippers. Currently, Clippers five and a half back. 
And the last point he kind of made was realistically, Clippers have to finish 23 while the Rockets go 14 and 8. Now, when you look at that on the surface, obviously, yeah, the Clippers have to get hot in order to catch the three. But to expect the Rockets to go 14 and 8 at first glance, you're kind of like, man, this team's all only lost 18 games this entire season. To expect them to lose eight with 22 left, is that really realistic? Well, it seems unlikely, but at the same time, the Rockets play twice against the Clippers, which you're, if you're the Clips, you got to win both of those games if you want to get to the three seed. And they have two games left against the Warriors. So if you're theoretically penciling those four games as losses, 14 and four now for the Rockets the rest of the way is very possible. It's 14 and four is still a very good record. But at the same time, Clippers have to hold up their end of the bargain. Now, we've talked in previous episodes. Yes, the schedule lightens up for the Clippers. Now you're finally healthy. Maybe you can start stringing some wins together. But 20-3 and would be a very impressive clip to win for that long of a period. And I would be very amped for their chances in the playoffs if this is what ultimately happens. But talking about the Houston game, I think it's a game that the Clippers absolutely have to have this one with everyone healthy just to sort of rectify their own beliefs that they can compete with the upper tier of the Western conference with their fully, when they're fully healthy. And I think this game is the first step to sort of proving that. What about you guys? What are you looking forward to specifically against the Houston Rockets and the rest of the week as we're looking ahead now that the team, the band is all together um, for the stretch run here. Let's go back to you, Robert. What do you think? I mean, people always talk about must-win games, and a lot of the times there really aren't must-win. But for the Clippers, as we've discussed, they basically need to get that three seed. And in order to do that, they need to win that game, this game on Wednesday. This is an absolute must-win. They need to come all out for Houston. And, you know, I'm just looking for energy. I'm looking for effort. You know, Houston's a really, really, really good team. And if the Clippers lose because Houston plays better, you know what? It happens, even at home. It, it wouldn't bode well for a playoff series, but it could happen. And I just don't want them to get snowed under, you know, to be down by like 10 and then just start bleeding points. Basically, good defense. Houston's a fantastic offensive team, you know, one of the best, most efficient in recent years. And I think that... The Clippers do have the defensive pieces, as we saw at the start of the season, to play truly lockdown, terrific defense. And they will need to do that for the rest of the season. You know, veteran teams, most of the time, don't have to play that hard, especially on the defensive end. But the Clippers absolutely have to if they're going to hit that three seed, especially against this game, against every legitimate good team down the line. So energy, defense, lots of effort. Because if you lose to a better team, it happens. If you lose because you defeat yourself or because you just don't come out hard enough, that's unacceptable for a team like the Clippers, which just has so much on the line this year. As we've discussed, you know, they have all these free agents. It's been to be six years now of futility if they don't hit the conference finals. It's a really big deal. And that three seed is a really, really big deal. I need to see effort. I need to see pride. I need to see toughness down the stretch. And if they don't get it, they don't get it. But I want to see them gunning hard for it. And that's the thing. We talked about 
in midseason, too, is the effort level of this team. You know, yes, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were out for extended stretches, but, you know, for a large part of this season, we didn't see that team, this team come out with that fire on a night-in, night-out basis. And I hope, as you as you kept alluding to there, is there's 23 games left in the season. The team is finally healthy. Chris Paul is back. Blake Griffin is back. And now's the time to turn it on and make a push for that three seed. Show the rest of the league that you can compete and make some serious noise in the playoffs and that you're exactly the team that everyone thought you were during that 14-2 and two start to the season. And before Chapon closes us out here, I just want to point out the rest of the schedule this week. Uh, Wednesday, March 1st, as mentioned, at home for the Clippers against the Houston Rockets. That game on ESPN with the 7.30 tip. Then a back-to-back, tough back-to-back, both games on the road, Friday, Saturday, the 3rd and the 4th at Milwaukee, who has beaten a lot of good teams this year, the Milwaukee Bucks, most notably with Giannis Antetokounmpo playing very well all season long. And then the second night of that back-to-back at the Chicago Bulls, who have been struggling this season, but you know, still a very talented team that on a second night of a back-to-back could give the Clippers troubles. Now, Chapon, I want you to close us out here. Your outlook for the week, notably looking ahead to that Houston Rockets game. What do you think's going to happen? Oh yeah, it's it's uh it's now or never, and uh, that game is pretty much the three seed. I'm not saying the Clippers will get the three seed if they win, but they will have a very low likelihood of getting it if they lose because they'll lose a tiebreaker, and it just becomes that much harder with essentially their game back of the Rockets. So it's a huge game, and the Rockets right now are Mori Ball. Like, they weren't Mori Ball when we played them in the playoffs. They maybe had two good three-point shooters, and of course, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer became what Mori Ball was in the fourth quarter. But Ugh. really, that team that team wasn't Mori Ball. This is Mori Ryan Anderson, 40.4% from three. Trevor Ariza shooting... One of his veterans is at 36%. Pat Beverly, 39%. Uh, you go down the list, uh, I think I think Decker shooting a decent clip, 33%. Eric Gordon, 38% from three. Harden's at his 35%. Mo Will, uh, Lou Williams, Mo Williams, it's a clipper flashback. Lou Williams is shooting uh, 39% from three and, and an incredible uh, clip from the corners. So is Mori Ball. Very few mid-range jumpers threes and layups and this is an incredible team uh behind Harden an incredible team for what Maury wants and from what Deion Tony wants and the biggest concern for me is that Lou Williams is going to make them a better regular season team I'm not so sure how much better in the playoffs they'll be I don't think they're going to be that big of a better of a team maybe against the Clippers because of Lou Williams but they're going to be better throughout the year because of Williams. He'll get them a few more wins, and that's a big deal when it comes to seedings. That's a good team there. That's a quality team. They still have a nice rim roller in Clint Capella and Harrell and off the bench. So this is really what Morey has wanted to do. Daryl Morey has wanted to do with this team as far as utilizing best percentage shots. That doesn't mean they're – I think they're incredible for what Morey has wanted, but I don't think they're incredible in general. I don't even think they're particularly better than the Clippers – but I think they're gonna they're gonna get lots of wins over the regular season. I'm not so sure how much they'll slip. I I have uh, I know what Lucas is saying about their extra games against the Warriors and their harder schedule. 
but the Clippers are going to have to really pick it up, and they can, but they really need to win this next game uh, against the Rockets, and they absolutely can. If they win this next game, then they have a chance. I was really hoping for a split uh, at that Spurs um, Warriors back-to-back, but didn't happen. It's all right. They can still catch up if they win this next game, and they win their final game against the Rockets. As far as the Bucks and the Bulls, I mean, the Bucks. That's a very winnable game. I know Giannis is great, but they lost Jabari Parker. Uh, Chris Middleton has been seeing games, so maybe we'll get lucky there. So I think that's a very winnable game. And the Bulls, as much as the Bulls had a great showing in LA for a good of that game, because Dwayne Wade hit like four any pointers in the first quarter or something ridiculous. That team isn't very good offensively. And I think the Clippers can handle them. It's just a matter of being on a back-to-back. So that's a very winnable uh, second game as well. But really, I think if the Clippers can win this first game against the Rockets on the first, then it might give them a bit of a groove. It might give them some confidence going forward, and maybe they can have a strong back-to-back to to close the week. So this Rockets game is really big. It's a really big deal. It's big in the chase for three. And really at this point, it's sort of three or bust because if we don't get that three seed – then it's going to be really hard to get to that conference finals. And then that's going to be a lot of questions in the off season. So Clippers really need to put their chips in because this is an important off season. So I think they can do well this week. So let's hope that they can close well. And that game against the Houston Rockets on Wednesday, March 1st is going to be the tone setter. Chapon, Robert, thank you so much for joining me again. I kind of like what we got going on here. It's a good, it's a trio uh, week in and week out here on the Lob, the Jam, the Pod. <laughs> and of course, we'll be back next week as always um, for another episode. But this week, let's go Clippers playing against the Rockets, Bucks, and Bulls. Let's have a three and a week. Let's set the tone in the chase for that three seed against the Rockets. Only got to go 20 and three. That's all you have to do. As always, folks, thanks for listening. And as always, let's go Clippers. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile. And there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile. And there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti 
all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and score more with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.